welcome. I am so excited to be here with you today. Um, my name is Khadija Adams, and you have reached the Cannabis Minority Report powered by the National Cannabis Industry Association, also known as the NCIA. It is the largest trade association in the cannabis industry to date. And again, I am your host, Khadija Adams. I'm the founder of Girl Get That Money, here for our weekly check-in and interviews with minority-owned companies in the space, companies that support social equity and social equity applicants themselves, as well as cannabis industry leaders. Now, this episode of the Cannabis Minority Report is sponsored by Grow Get That Money, a business empowerment coaching and consultancy firm that focuses on women in business and women aspiring to be in business. Joining me today are my co-host, Ms. Alexis Olive of Olive U Media, and of course, the fabulous Margot Bruner with Perpetual Harvest Sustainable Solutions, along with our very special guest, Ms. Tiffany Watkins, founder of Vanguard Media and Vanguard Magazine. But before we dive in to our conversation, let's check out the latest news in cannabis. First of all, we want to acknowledge Memorial Day. Memorial Day is being celebrated all over the United States. It is a federal holiday in the United States that actually honors the, can't even talk, actually honors and also mourns the military personnel who died performing their military duties while serving in the United States Armed Forces. The holiday is observed on the last Monday of May, which is today. So hats off to all of our, our military um, personnel, people who um, you know, participated in the military and people who are still in the military. So in the news today, Illinois House passes legislation that would give minority entrepreneurs a better shot at entering the industry. Minority entrepreneurs may soon have a better shot at getting into the marijuana industry thanks to the legislation that just passed the Illinois House of Representatives. HB 1443 creates more than 100 new pot shop licenses and gives people of color a fair shot at winning them during the lottery process. It was introduced by State Representative LaShawn Ford, um, a Democrat out of Chicago. Now, although the state is running almost a year behind on those licenses and those delays continue, the state social equity plan is still a work in progress more than a year into legalization. But Governor J.B. Um, Pritzker um, applauded the House proposal, and he states, as a state that values making our laws reflective of our diverse communities, we must ensure that social justice is at the center of everything we do. And today, that means building upon our work of passing the most equitable centric cannabis law in the nation. Well, Illinois, we want you to know that over here at the Cannabis Minority Report, we're watching you. We can't wait to see what you're going to do in the industry, especially for people of color. And hey, by the way, I want you guys to save the date. Minorities for medical uh, marijuana, they are scheduled to host a free marijuana expungement clinic at a local Los Angeles church. It's their fifth anniversary and Minorities for Medical Marijuana's Project Clean Slate partners with Hawthorne and Cookies to host a free expungement resource clinic on Saturday, June 5th at 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. at Holy Temple Full Gospel Church in Los Angeles. 
Individuals will learn how to clear their criminal records and receive free legal advice. Um, Pre-registration is available at www.projectcleanslate.org. Now in New Jersey, minority um, marijuana measure moves, aiming to counteract potential barriers to ownership of medical cannabis dispensaries and other types of alternative treatment centers by minority and women entrepreneurs in New Jersey, Assemblyman Jamal Holly sponsored a bill to revise certain restrictions on those businesses. Now the current law prevents any entity from holding more than one permit for medical cannabis cultivator, um, manufacturer, or dispensary. But under the new bill, investors who significantly assist someone applying for a medical marijuana um, cannabis dispensary permit would be allowed to hold up to 35% interest in up to seven medical cannabis dispensaries, providing that those businesses are minority, women, and disabled veteran-owned. Business owners would be required to pay back the financial assistance they receive from the investor within a period of time determined by a sliding scale system based on the size of the loan. Now, here's the important part. The measure specifies that ownership will not revert to the investor if the businesses were to default on those loans. I have to say, I like the new bill. I don't know about you guys, but I definitely love the new bill. Now happening in Missouri, tension is building in rural America because of a windfall for minority farmers. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but a new $4 billion fund that's part of a debt relief program created by Democrats to help farmers who have endured generations of racial discrimination is being challenged by white farmers. And, and here's what's interesting. It's being challenged because they say that they're being discriminated against. They say that they're being excluded because of their race. And they've plunged farmers of color into a new cultural war over race, over money, and over power in the US farming. Now here's what's interesting, you guys. The debt relief is a redress that has been set aside for what government call, what the government calls socially disadvantaged farmers, black, Hispanic, indigenous, and other non-white workers who have endured a long history of discrimination from violence and land theft in the Jim Crow era, okay, to banks and federal farm offices that refused them loans or government benefits that went to white farmers. Now in 1920, you guys, African-Americans actually owned 14% of the farmers of the farms in the United States. But after a century of racial violence, foreclosures, um, migration into cities and farm consolidation, there are fewer than 49,000 black farms in America right now. That represents 1.4% of American farmers. Most are concentrated in the Southeast and Texas. You guys, we've got to do better, right? Coming up next, you'll meet our very special guest, Ms. Tiffany Watkins, founder of Vanguard Media and Vanguard Magazine. We'll learn more about Ms. Watkins and the story behind this cannabis industry legend being one of the first Black women in the game. Through many years of pioneering with other industry giants, 
We'll get Tiffany's take on social equity and how the industry has evolved over the years right after these messages. that regulation works. We are back interviewing Tiffany Watkins, founder of Vanguard Media. Tiffany Watkins is known in the community as Lady Canna. Prior to cannabis, Tiffany worked as an IT professional, working many years as a network system engineer. She holds degrees in computer science and network infrastructure, as well as multiple other certifications. Uh, her grassroots campaigning obviously goes back 30 plus years, wow. Tiffany has been heavily involved in patient representation, harm reduction, public policy, and overall community organizing with the goal of always elevating and unifying the voices of the people in order to make pivotal, pivotal changes. Two years ago, Tiffany founded Vanguard Media Online, a media platform and magazine that is dedicated to women in cannabis. She proudly showcases the efforts, innovation, and creativity of all women in addition, Tiffany sits on many boards and com com committees where she helps craft changes in cannabis policy, public health, and social justice. Tiffany, welcome to the Cannabis Minority Report podcast. It is so good to have you join us today. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, to start, can you give us just some background about you and how you entered the cannabis industry and why? Sure. Um, you know, I'll start with the why portion. The why is because um, I have always believed in uh, kind of rooting for the, the underdog and rooting for people who, who don't have a way to exercise their own voice. And I saw that need when I was, uh, you know, when I was young, I started this in about 1990, 1989, 90. I was just uh, entering college. And, um, you know, I saw that many of, many people in the community were, battling the, 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 the other pandemic, HIV and AIDS. And, you know, it had been a long time coming, but there were some medications out there that were helping, but there was also a hindrance. The kind of payback for having this medication was kind of poor health. And they were doing what they could with herbal medications that included cannabis to strengthen their position, whether that be quality of life when life wasn't, they couldn't be quantitative. Um, or for whatever reason, to uplift their sp spirits or just have overall wellness and they were being treated like criminals. And I, you know, I just, I, I always met a lot of different people um, and the cannabis people around me showed me a different light of cannabis where it brought homeostasis and I wanted to know more. And the deeper I, I dove in, the more I learned that um, this was helping people, but it was also being villainized and people were being treated like criminals and ostracized in their own communities, neighborhoods, churches, and, and so forth. And um, it just sparked a fire in me. And I got in with a group of people who were pushing for medical marijuana change. And I just jumped in with both feet, whatever I could do. You know, as a college student, and then during that time, we operated from the shadows. Uh, you know, I brought cannabis to people who needed, who couldn't leave the house. Um, we cared for people who were wasting away, um, bringing herbal remedy that included cannabis, um, you know, acting in, in disobedience because we knew that we were doing the right thing. And uh, I just, you know, I just kept pressing forward with that. And as policy started to change, I realized that there was something more that I could do from the shadows. And that was register people to vote. We need voters. 
get signatures. We need registered voters' signatures to push initiatives forward, raise funds. I don't care if we were selling candy bars or cookies or whatever, we raised funds for people who were closer to, and they were older than us and they were closer to making these changes, but we supported them wholeheartedly. Started writing speeches, started delivering speeches, talking where anyone would listen, um, you know, and just steam forward into the kind of the 30 years later, uh, you know, that fire still burns. Cannabis and herbal remedies are my passion. They are my go-to. So, you know, that's, that's where it started. And it hasn't ended yet. Awesome. And that's why I love talking to you, Tiffany, is because I'm surprised how few um, advocates that I've heard um, really bring up the AIDS um, crisis back in the 80s, because that was a huge push for, for using this herbal remedy to at least give people comforts um, during, during that time. So thanks for speaking up about that. Really quick question, Tiffany. Are you from the Bay Area or where are you from originally? Um, I am from Northern California. Okay, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the heart of the movement. Further, further north uh, than the Bay, <laughs> but yeah, the Sacramento area. Okay, thank you. So let me ask you, what does community service and social equity mean to you, Tiffany? Um, community service, and I, I love that question always, because community service is, uh, shouldn't be a relative position. Um, we, we should know when we're, when, we're, when we're in service to the communities in which we are standing in. Um, community service to me is getting involved, uh, speaking up, speaking your mind, knowing that you're backing what you know to be right. Um, community service is seeing people um, needing something and just jumping in and providing that and moving on. Community service is faceless and nameless oftentimes and thankless, and that's okay. And um, there is justice within that. The social justice that we're looking for is right in front of our faces in our own communities. We don't need national news to tell us that we need to do better for the people in our community, regardless of the color, gender, orientation, and those things. Um, so to me, when I, when I talk about community service and social justice, I say, well, first of all, I'm talking about the same thing. I serve the community that I'm standing in at that time and in, 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 in that era. And I serve the people who are before me. That is social change. That is justice for everyone. And justice comes in the flavors of social. That's me, you, everybody. It comes in the flavor of economics. That's how much money do we have in this neighborhood to serve these people. And it comes in the flavor of equitable opportunity, which means what resources are here so that these people can thrive. So, I mean, that's, that's me in a nutshell. Wow. So I haven't heard it explained like that before. I love that. So how, how was your family? Because you said that you started in college. How was your cannabis viewed or, or the idea of you coming into the industry? How was that viewed by your family? Um, it is viewed in a neutral sense. Uh, my family uh, trusts me and, and knows that I wouldn't be doing anything wrong, but they are heavily influenced by the propaganda of their day. That told them that, you know, anything to do with cannabis, you're, you're, you're pushing dope. You're doing the wrong thing. You are involved in illicit drug uh, usage, sales, advocacy. And um, so, you know, my background is very conservative. I come from, from very conservative parents and grew up in a very conservative neighborhood um, and schools. And so there's a, a stigma. And, um, you know, I just decided that 
I would make my own choices as I met more people, um, that I would make my choices based on the experiences and anecdotal evidence that was shown to me. And um, I just I just decided, but uh, you know, now, you know, there's a little bit more openness because cannabis has become more mainstream. People are talking about it everywhere, but still those, those little demons are there within uh, my family. Like, are you sure? Are you sure you're doing the right thing? You know, and I just try to assure everyone that this is for the greater good. We'll all be okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I think also sometimes that's rooted, that just rooted in fear. Um, they saw people criminalized. They saw people, you know, marginalized through through over policing. And I think that the stigma is more than just a belief system. It's just it's like literal like fear, like in the pain body. Absolutely. It's definitely yeah. a fear point, especially for us black folks. It's a it, we operate oftentimes from fear. Sometimes we will omit certain things for fear. Um, you know, just to to remind everybody, we are. <laughs> We're right at 100 years from that Tulsa massacre. And most of those families didn't even talk about it. They never spoke about it. There are people living in Tulsa today who did not know that that even happened. That be, thank, Thankfully, ABC News is willing to, to air some things about it so that people can talk more about these things. But because of fear of not being able to thrive and knowing that opportunities were not gonna come in there, why would you ixnay yourself from any possible opportunities by opening up your mouth and talking about something? That is fear. It has been done to us through the war on drugs when it comes to cannabis. A tool to be able to push forward the agenda of you're going to jail. Just on this small little bit, whether it was violent, doesn't matter what you've done, but for sure, this is gonna be your pathway in. This is your ticket. So why not be, of course, you're going to be afraid of that ticket of marijuana, because as soon as, as soon as they see you have that, that's a reason to search your bags. It's a reason to go into your home and go through your things and try to find things against you. So yeah, um, we operate from fear oftentimes. I'd love to see a little bit of that go away. Yes. Absolutely. Man, I tell you, fear can actually make you do one or two things, right? It can make you either fail or it can make you succeed. And right now in cannabis, I believe that, you know, I mean, I've only been in cannabis legally since 2014. You have seen more than I've ever seen in this industry. So for 30 years, you've seen how this industry has morphed into where we are right now. So um, I know you mentioned your passion for cannabis. But tell me about your passion for social justice found in social equity. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think it's inherent, uh, you know, again, as, as a Black woman, um, I think that is inherent within me to always be looking and, and uncovering uh, the little things that happen in life that are unjust. But I think that my passion is, it comes from the same place that it did for advocacy for cannabis, is that there, there are groups of people out there lacking just the, the right of opportunity and they deserve someone to stand in their corner and speak with them. Our, our voices don't overpower each other when we all stand on the same side of the injustices, but unified, our voices can speak louder and we can get someone to hear and notice that these changes are going on. 
um, you know, a lot of times people are not, they're, they're not wanting to act in a racist sense, use their bias, but they don't even know that they're doing it because this is how they grew up, say, this is all they've seen. So if they can't hear our voices, they don't know what to change or that change is needed. So I think my, my passion really started to grow as I realized that we have a part in standing up for ourselves as people of color and as women in order to be the squeaky wheel and see what grease is out there for us to utilize. And then we can really hold people to the wire and go, well, you've seen the problem. We've detailed out the problem. What are you willing to do? Or what am I seeing you not doing at all? So I just think that it's, a, it's an ongoing um, issue. We are here in, in the 2020s now, and we are talking about things that should have been solved in 1920, 1869. Racism and social injustice is not, and I say it that way because it's just un, a way unjust for these things to be happening. That could have been done away with with getting away from racism, not saying that, oh, racism doesn't exist, but saying that we need to step away from racism. It's not a necessity. It's not an inherent trait that we're born doing. It is something that we learn and something that we control. You, me, blacks, whites, Asian, we control bias. We control race ourselves and our thoughts about it. It's something we could have eradicated a long time ago by stepping away from it. So wow. I will remain passionate until everyone can see that view and go, we make a choice to be racist. So. Yeah, so. There's, there's something happening. There's an evolution. And it just, it seems like, like the Bay Area and Sacramento are, are kind of like the epicenter of that. Um, I, I had a really interesting experience. I mean, a lot of people hear about the news coming out of um, Oakland and all the work that's being done there. Um, it, it's probably the best program that I have seen, the most actionable program. Um, but recently I had the opportunity to be a reviewer um, for the social equity program in the city of Sacramento. And I was on a panel um, of all black and brown reviewers. And I do a lot of work throughout the country. I've never been on a panel of all black and brown people to review a social equity application. And I think that it was really unique um, because number one, there were a lot of points that were addressed um, that people by people that were actually impacted by the war on drugs. And I think that it was slightly interpreted by a different lens by people who understood that experience a little bit more, even if it wasn't firsthand. Um, there was just a, a different nuance to that evaluation. And the city of Sacramento itself was very intentional um, about seeking out people that were from different demographic backgrounds to evaluate that process. So uh, there's something in the water there. I don't know what's going on in Northern California, um, but you guys are definitely leading the charge. Absolutely. Pass that water on to all the other states. <laughs> Take it everywhere. <laughs> That's it. It needs to be contagious. Absolutely. Yes. I agree with you. Yes. Alexis, okay. back to you. I was just going to say, thank you so much for always keeping it real with a capital <laughs> R. Thank you. Um, but I want to go back to last year during the pandemic. Um, so your business was pretty fresh. So you were launching and growing during that time. Can you just tell us a little bit of what you learned and how you pivoted and, and how you're staying motivated? 
through all that craziness? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Vanguard Media Online has been around for just about two years. So the pandemic was a real slap in the face when it came to outreach and where we were going. Um, we were really going to lean back into um, going in public appearances and uh, events um, to further the launch. Uh, Vanguard came on the heels of Lady Canna. Lady Canna is not only my persona, um, but it also was a series of uh, community talks and community cannabis talks that I held for. I mean, I've been doing those for probably over, we're, we're going almost year eight minus one. It's year eight chronologically, but not so much last year. Um, and so we were really going to go in to these events and then boom, the pandemic hit and the pivot was absolutely huge. Um, I had to rethink, you know, what's this online medium gonna look like? Are, are we gonna use this? But I just said, well, I guess I better dig in. And everywhere I was asked to speak, it became a yes game. Yes, I will. Can you talk here? Yes, I will. Can you host here? Yes, I can. And that really helped to acclimate me to the environment of being online and doing outreach for Vanguard Media um, just in a virtual sense. And it just really took off. I found that sharing the stories of women is a delicate process. Um, because I'm sharing raw stories. Vanguard is the, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. And these women need a safe space. And for them, for them to uncover some of these things that are truly ugly out there in, in the industry. And I think being in a virtual space with them allowed them that safety to share, share more and build the comfort level that we have now. Um, you know, in, in 2021, we are back with um, not only the, the physical publication, but we are hosting an event. This year is actually coming up in about 40 uh, days. And uh, that event is going to be virtual. The rest of our events this year will be virtual. And we won't go live events until 2022 because we just really want to make sure everyone is going to be acting within safety. But, you know, we just decided that it's time to just kind of open up there. So we're going to pivot once again into an actual event that's on that's online. It's our 710 Dab Day celebration on 71021. So Saturday, July 10th. 2021, we also will be announcing our woman of the year there. And that's super exciting to give out a prize and just really hold on high um, a woman who's just doing the best that she possibly can out there uh, to help people um, this year. So we're super excited to do those things. And I think that the pandemic really allowed us to get deeper in thought about how we would put our next foot forward. I think it not just for my business, but I think that it did it for many of our businesses. And um, in some ways, we should be thankful. Absolutely. And I nominated Miss Kindness, and I'm not afraid to say it. I'm so excited. When I saw that link, I was like, yes, yes, Miss Kindness. <laughs> so I love that you're doing that. I love that you are recognizing women um, in the space. I love that you are having conversations with women in the space and, and allowing for a safe space for them to actually come to and have different conversations and share their stories and allowing themselves to be vulnerable. And so thank you for doing that. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say every time I read 
your magazine, like every woman that's featured, I'm just like, oh my God, they're so inspiring. Like, I just want to let you dig so deep in there. It's, I feel like I, I know them, like, can we be friends? Like every woman that you showcase <laughs> is phenomenal. So thanks for doing that. Oh, I, I couldn't see it any other way. It's all about them. It's, it's, it's never about me. It's really about um, the movement of Vanguard and Vanguard is we, I'm, I'm building an army and the army is all of us women. And uh, we're gonna make changes. We're gonna change what it looks like um, out there when it comes And I think that other industries are gonna have to take notice of that, um, you know, yeah. and how they, they provide equitable space for women and persons of color. Absolutely, and I have to say that you are a, a phenomenal woman. When I was doing my research about you and learned that you had been in the industry for over 30 years, the first thing I thought is that, my God, she has seen so much in this industry. You've seen people get arrested, I'm sure. You've seen um, where people didn't have the support that they needed. You know, you've seen people start businesses and close those same businesses. You've seen new businesses, new companies, bigger, you know, bigger companies coming in and, and all of that. So my next question is, how important is education on cannabis and legal regulations to minorities entering, um, seeking to enter the space? And what do you recommend they do first before taking a leap into the industry? Well, absolutely. Um, that's, that's a great question. Um, education is essential to everyone entering the space, but even doubly so when it's a person of color entering the space, because um, we have to watch out for, for opportunity, opportunities slipping away and opportunities coming towards us. I think that it's very essential that we have the, the, the baseline of education of what it means to, what cannabis is and what it means to be in the business of cannabis when it is federally illegal. Because let's just put it out there, it's likely that your business is going to be fine tooth combed as a black person more so or more rapidly than a person who does not look like you. So mind your P's and Q's. That means you must start this with the utmost of knowledge. Don't be afraid to learn. Where can it start? It can start with books. Ask for recommendations of books to learn about the plant. And then ask for recommendations of books to learn about the legalization of the plant, the good and the bad. Then just going, uh, you know, there's a lot of local resources in almost every uh, state that I've been to that, uh, that starts with, their, um, their local administration for cannabis. In California, it's the BCC. You know, like in the Pacific North, Northwest, there's the OLC, there's the WLCB. Finding those, um, finding those outlets to find out what the rules are to the letter in your area. Memorize them. And then there's a lot of different schools out there offering cannabis education. Um, you know, for operations in the store or overall education, like what Oaksterdam University offers, things like that, um, and finding those programs. I think lastly, for education, for entering into the space, I think finding um, any resource, even if it's not in your jurisdiction, for social equity, what it means how you get in, what it means to win a license, why it's called winning a license, the whole nine yards, dig in to, even if you're not gonna be a social equity applicant, you still need to know what that looks like. Know every area of the business. 
Absolutely. I agree 100% with that. I love the way that you say educate, 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 and to really get the information, get the knowledge. You know, when you seek, right, keep seeking, you will absolutely find, um, especially in this industry. So thank you for that. Alexis, I'm going to pass off the questions to you. Um, well, you mentioned that you have your July 10th event going on. Super exciting. Do you have any other speaking engagements or any um, other events that you'd like to mention to our audience? So we can learn. Like I said, I love listening to you talk. So whenever I get a chance, I'm, I'm there. No, I really appreciate that. We are really leaning into our 710 event. Uh, we need as much support as possible. Every bit pushes the movement forward. Everything is a fundraise. Everything that we do out there is a fundraise. Uh, whether it be our, our soft goods and merch line or uh, purchase of tickets to events that are coming up. So the one we're leaning into is our Dab Day celebration. If you want to learn about, we'll have education there. We'll have fun. We'll have all sorts of things. Um, and the doors are open. There's going to be expo booths and things like that all online. It's going to be a wonderful place. And tickets can be picked up um, just by going to the link at www.vanguardmediaonline.com or right through Event High. Um, so if you just type in Event High and type in Dab Day Celebration or Vanguard, you're going to find uh, where you can purchase a ticket to this event. It's going to be great. We have a huge prize um, giveaway. And every ticket that is purchased comes with an entry to get this prize. And this prize is not small. We're, we've got a large package and we will be announcing the uh, value of that package here within the next couple of weeks and so everyone will know what they're entered into when they purchase the ticket so we're super excited wow yeah I mean I'm definitely like you said some great things came out of last year being that a lot of online events are happening so you know being in Texas I can attend all these cool events and <laughs> you know, hang out with all these candle ladies yeah okay, thank you so much um, and lastly, um, well, last question I have, and I'm assuming the audience wants to know, how do we contact you or, or anyone that wants to contact Vanguard Media? Absolutely. I would say that, um, you know, social media is probably the place where people reach out to us the most um, on Instagram, uh, Vanguard underscore media underscore online is the handle. Um, and Vanguard Media Online is the handle just about everywhere else. And you can reach that right at the website at VanguardMediaOnline.com. Cool. Awesome. Well, Tiffany, it has been not only a pleasure, but a privilege to have you on our show, to be able to interview you. You are a true pioneer in cannabis. And let me tell you something, one of the first Black women in this game um, to do what you're doing. And mind you, you know, I'm pretty sure that you are um, encouraging and inspiring other women out there as well. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you for being um, that model that we need to, to actually follow. So we appreciate you so much. We'll be right back after these messages. What's up? I'm Vince and this is NCIA's Industry Buzz. While the weed world awaits Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's comprehensive cannabis legislation, there has been movement elsewhere on the policy front in recent weeks. The DEA announced that it was finally moving forward with approving applications to cultivate cannabis for research purposes. 
Senator Ron Wyden introduced a bill to allow for hemp-derived cannabidiol and hemp-derived cannabidiol-containing substances in dietary supplements and food. And in May, Representative David Joyce, an Ohio Republican who co-chairs the Congressional Cannabis Caucus, introduced a narrowly tailored bill to remove cannabis from the schedule of controlled substances. We're staying on top of all these federal moves, and you can get up to speed while we hurry up and wait by reading Morgan Fox's latest in Industry Insights on our mobile app and at thecannabisindustry.org. All right, and we are back, just closing it out today. It's been a great Memorial Day, a great interview with the lovely Miss Tiffany Watkins. I'm going to pass it over to my co-host, Miss Margot Bruner, for any last words before we close out today. Margot. Yes, I, have, I want to take it back for one quick second with Tiffany. I, I heard you speak about your background in activism and in politics, and I totally understand how that transitions to media because media controls a lot of politics. But how did you make that leap um, when you came to cannabis? How did you say this is my space here? Sure, yeah, and I do get asked that question often because my background being technology, they're like, that doesn't really match up. Yes. And it's <laughs> but what I saw was a need to uh, be able to, uh, and I needed an outlet to amplify the voices that were coming to me. As, as Lady Canna and through the Lady Canna Talks for Cannabis, um, people were beginning to share their personal stories. They would share the things that were going on and ask questions. And I said, you're asking one person. We're talking to one person. This is largely becoming bigger than me. I need your voice everywhere else. We need to be sharing this in a larger space. And with their consent, I started doing that. And I realized this is what media is based on. This is what media was supposed to be. This was supposed to be our voices sharing from one side to the other. And I said, we got to make it happen. So that is how Vanguard was born, was through the need to bring media, um, especially around cannabis, back to what um, it should have been to begin with. Yes. As I didn't know that you'd only been around for two years. That picked that cover of Wanda James that's iconic and I was like that's only been two years it seems so much longer than that but the pandemic happened and who knows what year it is now so <laughs> I know. You kind of lost the year right you'd be losing year or something it's like what? <laughs> that was a great article that was a great cover too yes absolutely Alexis any last thoughts before we close out today well I just really love how Tiffany always talks about her business, it's not a business, it's a movement, right? Vanguard Media is a movement. And so you're bringing, like you mentioned, bringing so many people together, so many women from all walks of life, because as we like to say, we like to um, collaborate, not compete, and we are definitely stronger together. So yeah, follow the movement, guys. That's what this is. Absolutely. <laughs> Girls compete, but women empower. And guess what? My co-host and our special guest today, we are all women, grown-ass women. So we're <laughs> in the, that's right, right? We're in the business of uplifting and empowering and collaborating. We are not competing with anyone other than ourselves, looking to be better than what we were yesterday, right? I want to thank you guys for being with us today. Um, the mission of the DEI committee is to educate, to advocate, to engage and empower the community of cannabis and its members by cultivating partnerships with other nonprofit organizations with similar goals. 
providing resources that create and sustain an environment that is not only inclusive, that is equitable, that is also diverse. We are committed to building a culture that respects our members and celebrates their contributions as we work together to strengthen all communities in the cannabis space. The DEI program, we'd like to go ahead and, and thank our sponsors. We appreciate you, we respect you, and we look forward to having you sponsor us again. Don't forget everybody, the NCIA's webinar series and it's Midwest Cannabis Business Conference that takes place on September 22nd through September 23rd in Detroit, Michigan. For more information, go to MidwestCannabisBusinessConference.com. And our Eastern Cannabis Business Conference takes place December 7th and 8th in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information, go to EasternCannabisBusinessConference.com. And then finally, our Cannabis Business Summit that takes place December 15th through the 17th in San Francisco, California. For more information, go to CannabisBusinessSummit.com. We'd like to thank again our co-host, Ms. Alexis Olive of Olive View Media, along with the beautiful Margot Bruner. We really appreciate you for being with us. And also our special guest, Ms. Tiffany Watkins, founder of Vanguard Media, Vanguard Magazine. So thank you for joining us. Don't forget to download the NCIA's mobile app. And if you have anyone or anyone you believe that you have someone that we need to interview right here on the Cannabis Minority Report, make sure you inbox me at info at KhadijaAdams.com. Until then, peace, love, and... NCIA's Cannabis Minority Report is a product of the National Cannabis Industry Association and NCIA's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee. We are hosted every week by Khadijah Adams. Our executive producers are Aaron Smith and Vince Chandler. We are directed by Vince Chandler and produced by Bethany Moore and Alexis Olive. Please, please, please find out everything you can about the growing and equitable cannabis industry at thecannabisindustry.org.